0: Now, let's turn in our Bible to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Sunday morning, we're studying the book of Colossians in a series entitled, uh, Give Me Jesus. And we will pick things up in verse 23, and uh, we will only study the latter part of verse 23 and then verse 24, but I want to read the entire context. Um, We'll only study those verses this morning. Read the larger section all the way through verse 29, uh, which we'll hope to get to in its entirety next time. So verse 23, Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes by the Spirit, he said, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this uh, mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope or confidence of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus and to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again in the second service for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to commune with you and meet with you through it. And how we long to hear your voice and all of the ways that you speak. And and uh, through your word as well. We pray that you would use our time in these passages to uh, wash our lives, to refine our lives, and, and that you would use this time to thoroughly equip us, as your word says, unto every good work and to further conform us into the image of Christ. You're the only one that can do that. You long to do it. We look forward to receiving from you now as we study your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You might remember that the Apostle Paul never traveled to the church at Colossae. He never visited in the course of his life, and so he had no direct hand in the establishing of the church there. And he certainly had no direct hand in Uh, appointing its leadership. And so having already addressed now in this letter some of the false teachings that were now beginning to prevail within the church, he will continue to do that throughout uh, the entirety of the letter. What he does now is that he addresses the character Uh, of the false teachers. And he kind of in what he writes here is essentially he invites the church to put his godly character and his Christian ministry up against anything they were seeing in the false teachers there uh, in, in Colossae know as we look at it a little bit later in chapter 2, uh, verse 4 uh, of the letter, it's clear that the false teachers were uh, very persuasive, very, very persuasive speakers. And, uh, but a false teacher isn't merely identified by what they say, but also by what they omit, by what they don't say. And not only by what they say and what they omit, but by the quality of Christian life uh, that, they, that they live or the quality of the life uh, that they live. And in doing all of this, Paul here, as he writes uh, of his ministry, he provides us with this timeless standard uh, against which to put our Christian service uh, to the Lord to uh, a biblical uh, test, a beautiful standard uh, uh, and necessary standard within uh, within our lives, and uh, as he shows us and speak to us about what spiritual uh, Christian ministry and uh, leadership will look like, one of the big problems that was happening in the church at Corinth is that uh, they were being wowed, uh, rather at, at Colossae, was that these Christians were being wowed by all the wrong things. And then conversely, they were lightly esteeming all the true marks of uh, spiritual leadership and ministry. And this is no less a problem uh, even today. In in the church, and so here we have kind of a a mini pastors conference, but it isn't just for pastors. It is uh, it it applies to all of us in our particular area of service as Christians. You notice that Paul begins in verse twenty three, but he repeats it also in verse twenty four. He begins by declaring himself to be a minister. And in verse 23, he declared himself to be a minister of the gospel. That is that he considered himself to be a herald, a proclaimer of the gospel to the world. I think that's a wonderful way of uh, envisioning evangelism. We are simply taking the invitation of God to the entire world uh, to come into relationship with him by virtue of being saved through faith in his son, making this good news uh, uh, known. In verse 25, he declared himself to be a minister to the church, that is the body of Christ. Here it speaks of uh, Christians uh, uh, collectively uh, throughout all of the world. And so uh, he was not only called by God to evangelize, not only called by God to share the gospel, but he was also called to serve and to strengthen uh, the faith of those who are already uh, Christians. The Greek word for minister, as it's used in both those verses, is the word uh, diakonos, and it uh, it literally means uh, servant, which is something that's a little clearer for us in our uh, use of, of uh, English language. And so it's a, it's a word that is used in the New Testament to speak of service. And it's one that is used to speak of lowly service or to speak of rather mundane service. For instance, uh, the waiting on tables as we see in the book of Acts or the distribution to the poor as we also see uh, in the book of Acts. and. Uh, and and uh, the title now, Minister, uh, Paul applies to himself. One of the reasons I like servant a little better than minister is that within our culture, <clears throat> excuse me, less and less so, uh, but it used to be not that long ago that to be a minister was... Uh, that was a title that was esteemed within the culture. I think it's completely gone now. If my experience, uh, my life experience, is any uh, indication of how impressed the world is by someone who's a minister of Jesus Christ, but um, but it used to it used to be highly esteemed, much more than it is uh, today. And um, <clears throat> and so, uh, but what it really means is a servant. And I think that I remember Pastor Chuck talking about this, Chuck Smith, uh, talking about this uh, years and years ago when uh, being a minister was esteemed in a little different way, and he would talk about how uh, a minister or pastor would fly in maybe to speak at a particular church or gathering and uh, get uh, off the plane and nobody would let him carry his luggage because after all he is the minister and the disconnect between a minister uh, and a servant in people's minds. If he's a minister uh, then he's a servant and he can carry his own luggage though we could do that if we choose to but he wouldn't bring that uh, expectation Uh, uh, to it. And that's how Paul uh, uses the word here. He's an apostle, every bit an apostle, but he declares himself to be a servant, a servant to God's word, his gospel, a servant to uh, God's people. And this really speaks of the fact that Paul, uh, and we never see it in the scriptures that there's anything contrary to this. He never became full of himself. He always remained humble. And uh, always uh, very much uh, servant hearted. And so. Uh, The minister, the Bible teaches, uh, is to be highly esteemed by other Christians, but they themselves are never to see themselves as more than a servant. And so we respect people that are in positions of authority, that have been called to those positions within the body of Christ. We esteem them highly. The Bible says uh, we're to do, but they are never to see themselves as as anything other than a servant. It's funny, once in a while, uh, it's funny being a pastor, because I'm a, uh, in my mind, all I am is, is a, a lineman and a cable splicer uh, with Pac Bell. And I'm just uh, uh, doing this now uh, afterwards. But um, sometimes there are certain people you meet, and they want to put you in your place. Uh, this is a goofy thing. You can call me anything you want. You can call me Pastor, you can call me Pastor Kyle, you can call me Pastor Damien, <clears throat> you can call me Damien. I answer to a lot of different things with people. But every once in a while you get somebody that'll come up and they deliberately don't call you a pastor. They deliberately call you Damien and it's, they're just putting you, uh, trying to put me in my place, that they don't see me as any different than anyone else and that kind of a thing. doesn't happen very often, but uh, you just look and go, okay, that's their trip. I don't know what the, the deal is uh, uh, on it. But, uh, but those, this kind of a, of a position is, is one that's to be respected and esteemed and there's nothing uh, wrong with that as long as it doesn't go to the person's head first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12 and we urge you brethren to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love's sake uh, in love for their work's sake be at peace among one another in other words esteem them highly and uh, don't fight with them, they got enough uh, on their plate to take care of. Now, this whole issue concerning servanthood is very, very important for us to be aware of as Christians in the United States, where the entire culture seems uh, determined to convince each of us that we are the single most important person in the world, uh, and uh, that we are the single most important person in any room that we enter into. And, uh, and that everyone else in the entire planet, uh, all seven uh, billion of them, uh, merely exist as props on the center stage of the universe that is my life. And uh, if I overstate it this morning, I only overstate it by uh, a single degree. I've watched through the years, and now the years are decades, as the self-esteem and the selfism movement in our country, it began way back 35 years ago when uh, this church started. Uh, It began as kind of a fringe group in the United States of America, and uh, And then pretty soon it moved into public education and then into the universities and then it became a part of entertainment, became a part of uh, of culture. Until now, it absolutely dominates the American culture. It isn't merely present in every part of the culture. It dominates uh, the culture. In this regard, uh, every once in a while, I think about uh, President, uh, President Kennedy and uh, if he were to say today what he said in his inaugural speech in 1961 uh, uh, to the united states citizens and he uh, made that famous line ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country and when he spoke that in 1961 he spoke it with the intent that that would inspire people and it did inspire uh, the nation when it was spoken. and uh, uh, But I think today, if he were to speak something like that in our modern culture now, 60 years later, uh, he would be met with blank stares. I mean, people would think he had come from uh, Mars. And yet all of that was just about 60 years ago, all within a single lifespan of the history of this nation. And much of the fragmenting of our society around us today can be traced back to the selfism, to the selfishness that our culture so worships and it so uh, nurtures. And I think that perhaps all of this uh, as a cause for the fragmenting Uh, of our culture uh, in terms of this uh, selfism is second only to uh, the real and and central cause of it is our nation's rejection of the Bible by and large. Uh, Complete with the rejection of God's definitions of right and wrong and God's definitions of how uh, life is to be uh, lived. Uh, And uh, the rejection of all of that so that everyone can just uh, continue in this headlong rush into sin uh, without any conviction, without being uh, abated in, in any way. But how can a nation or a world not fragment if everybody considers themselves the most important person in the world and is always out to do what is best solely uh, for them and, uh, and everyone, as is the language is put in the book of Judges, a world in which everyone is doing what is right in their own uh, eyes. Well, all of that I say in order to say that servanthood in our culture is becoming as rare as an albino robin, and, uh, but that's not the worst of it. The world around us is not the greatest casualty uh, of all of this. The greatest casualty is that it is now coming to dominate the church and to dominate Christianity and to dominate uh, Christians. And I hear it over and over again and with, with increasing regularity where pastors say, I just can't find servants anymore. Everyone is too busy with their own lives. Or they're not willing to make the sacrifice that's required for a church to be healthy and a church to be uh, uh, strong. And I, and I want to say uh, very clearly for those of you who attend this church, and those of you, maybe even more importantly, those of you who don't attend this church, is that this morning, and talking about this, I am not addressing a local situation, uh, though it, it applies to all of our lives as Christians. For 35 years in, in, uh, in this church, whenever there's been any kind of, of ministry or outreach or activity that has been planned, uh, people have always stepped forward in order to make that happen. And uh, all of us have been blessed for 35 years uh, in, in that way. Well, I, a year or two ago, I... Um, I was hearing like everybody in the world was hearing about the millennial generation and then the kind of whatever the labels are for generations below the millennial generation uh, that this is a different group of people you have to um, there's a different breed of cat and and uh, if you're a little bit older you better find out where they're coming from and all or they're never going to uh, stick around in your church, or whatever uh, that uh, might be, and so i 'm a curious person and i 'm a lifelong learner. I like to learn what what I can, and so I, I downloaded a whole bunch of podcasts on the subject from a very wide uh, 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 number of of different sources, and to try and understand. Uh, millennials, or what these people were talking about about their differences and the younger uh, generations, and over and over and over again, though I gleaned uh, valuable things in, in many respects from what I, I, I listened to. But over and over again, it was said that this is a different generation, uh, and uh, but every generation is different. But this is an extraordinarily different generation. And and what I want to do right now is if you are millennial or you are younger, just take a deep breath. I'm not going to pick on you or pound you in any way. And I'm not even addressing this because it's a local situation. But but just to make a, a point that as our culture has moved progressively through time in terms of this selfism and the nurturing of selfishness, it only stands to reason that those that are the younger have been the most indoctrinated uh, by it. So if I misrepresent you in in any way here, you can call me uh, boomer. Uh, uh, afterwards and and of course to then say that there is uh, no race where everyone is exactly the same uh, there is no socioeconomic uh, class where everyone within that class is the same there is no generation in which everybody uh, is the same I get that but I also understand the the the, the general thing that uh, that they are trying to uh, address And one of the things that arose over and over and over again in these podcasts, in in terms of millennials or whatever, is that they they aren't loyal to a church like previous generations. And so they'll only serve if you show them how some area of service uh, will advance them. Or advance their goals or advance their dreams. And so you have to uh, give them uh, ownership in a church earlier than you might in other uh, generations. You have to give them uh, power and authority uh, at the outset, even before you see uh, this servanthood uh, uh, characterized. Uh, in their life. You've got to make them a part of the planning of the church and the decision-making in the church in order to get them to buy in or they won't serve. And the problem with that, it, it was so prevalent being said in different ways, is that this is so far away from what we see in the Apostle Paul, from what we see in the book of Acts and in the early church and in the epistles, and so far away from what we see in Jesus himself. And I think it's important, where generations are pitted against one another uh, within within our culture, is to understand that these issues are not generational things. These issues are uh, these are Bible uh, uh, kind of uh, Bible things, and it isn't just the younger uh, Christians who are susceptible to this. Uh, this selfism, this kind of conforming pressure fills the culture that we're in right now. And it's bearing down on all of us, no matter what our our age uh, is. It's trying to conform all of us. And we're all in danger uh, as a result of becoming very soft and developing a real sense of entitlement concerning Christian service that we don't see anywhere uh, in, in the scriptures. This is why we have to make the Bible, we have to make the early church, again, the Apostle Paul, again, uh, Jesus himself are examples in all of this the church moves forward in evangelism it moves forward in the edification the building up of the church on the basis of servants through servants and if we lose this understanding uh, that when god tells me uh, to do something as a christian that uh, and he tells me to jump that i am to ask him how high Uh, on the way up and to realize that I'm not too good to do anything that God has called me to do uh, to evangelize others or to serve Christians and if we lose that understanding then we are doomed and we will be put on a shelf we're doomed in terms of Christian service and influence for the kingdom We will be put on a shelf. God will bring another revival. He'll raise up a new uh, generation, a new group of Christians who understand servanthood. He'll then move on with his work through them while the rest of us then play spiritual games in some kind of a corner uh, of the world. And very, very unflinchingly, Jesus taught in this regard to us as Christians. It's one of the most... Uh, stinging passages in in Jesus' teaching. And he said, and which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, the master to the servant, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things which uh, were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you... When you have done all those things uh, which uh, you are commanded, then say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what what was our duty to do. Because it is only that attitude, a servant attitude toward God, a servant attitude toward his work in the body of Christ uh, that works. And it is the, that's the only attitude that works in Christian service. And all of this other stuff, this pandering and, and, and all, it's, it's 100% the flesh and, and God won't bless it. And we pray for revival and we should pray for revival. But when we pray for revival, we have to think about uh, what we want God to revive, what we expect God to revive, what we give to God. Uh, to revive in the world and do I expect God to pour out his blessings on uh, some uh, carnal self-dominated western Christianity and then uh, spread that mess uh, around the world any more than it already is I tell you he won't do it he won't do it and uh, and if we really want revival then we will be humble, uh, servant-hearted, service-practicing Christians in a local church. And then he can choose to make us as that church a part of any revival. We give him something to revive, something to multiply, and he might make us a part of any revival that he might choose to send. Now, of course, the great revelation for how Uh, far along we are in this uh, uh, class called servanthood in the body of Christ is how we respond to someone who treats us as a servant. And if somebody treats us as a servant and we respond without, uh, you know, flinching in any way, becoming defensive or argumentative on it, then we're well on our way in terms of understanding uh, the truth about this and becoming a servant, even as Jesus was a servant. But if somebody treats me as a servant and immediately my hackles are up and I'm defensive and and I'm offended by it, then uh, that's a clear evidence that... Uh, I've uh, taken, uh, I'm not far enough down that road. I won't want to stop where I am in learning the importance of this uh, part of, of Christianity. When we're willing to do anything for the good of others, uh, no kingdom building within a church, uh, 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 servants, the great definition of servants, the best one I've ever heard, is a servant is one who makes life better for other people. And, uh, and there's that willingness to do anything for the good of other people. Uh, no coming into a church and building my own little kingdom within the church or uh, saying, you know, uh, I only teach. That's what God has called me to do, uh, but I don't uh, empty garbage cans. Uh, I, I don't uh, do any of those kind of things. There's no selective servants And it always needs to be when push comes to shove, whatever our individual calling and gifting might be, when a need comes up, we all are willing to jump in and meet that need and to fill that need. Because whatever our calling is, at our core, it has to flow out of being willing to be uh, a servant and to truly believe, truly believe that uh, I am not too good for God to spend my life in any way that He chooses. I'm not too good to spend my life doing anything that uh, any calling, any activity uh, that He chooses to call me uh, to do in order to be uh, Jesus' hands and His feet and His ears and his eyes and His mouth, uh, in any situation. And when this church started uh, 35 years ago, everyone really was almost universally—you you, you, could—they were just servants and, uh, and uh, uh, the, the, the the church was cleaned after every service to get ready, ready for the next service and all kinds of different things were going on in terms of tape cassettes and everything. And wherever there was a need, people just jumped in and did it. Didn't matter what their title was in the, in the culture, what occupation they had, they just jumped in and, and uh, met, uh, met those, uh, those needs. Whatever had to be done, Uh, to to have things ready for the next service. And when someone would come in new to the church or uh, they were new to serving in the church and maybe they'd come up and uh, they wanted to begin serving by uh, praying with people up in front uh, or maybe teaching Bible studies or by leading a home uh, fellowship because we didn't know anything about them, we would always suggest that the best place for you to start here would be to talk to one of the deacons and be involved in cleaning up the church after the service or preparing it for the next service. And all we were doing, not trying to get someone to jump uh, through a hoop, but someone who saw that they, they were called maybe to do these other things, but what we needed to know first of all was uh, were they a servant at heart? Or did they just want to build their little kingdom within the middle uh, of something, just do their little selective service, uh, uh, servanthood uh, in, in the middle of things? And of course, happily, most people were glad to, to jump in and uh, out of a, a love for God's people, a love for what God was doing. And uh, But occasionally there'd be somebody that wouldn't do that. And uh, if somebody came along and said, listen, I don't clean bathrooms or uh, empty garbage cans and the other church that I attended, I was this and I was that, and they would decline to, uh, a willingness to do that, whether by word or, or by action, our response was, well, then you don't teach a home Bible study here. And you'll never be an elder or a deacon here and you'll never lead worship here. Because what we have to see first is servanthood. And then once we see that, now everything opens up to you. But nothing does until that foundational thing is there. And so I'm not surprised the Apostle Paul begins in that place, in this particular uh, passage dealing uh, with, with ministry. And when we move from that building downtown and into this place some 20 years ago, we've continued the practice for uh, the same uh, reason. One of the interesting things about how uh, self-dominated and selfish our culture has become, it's catastrophic. The consequences of it are disastrous in all directions, but it doesn't do any good to you know, take a bat and swing at the darkness. It represents a tremendous opportunity for us to be servants not only in the church, but to to wear this mantle then into the world. And, and, And it is becoming so rare today that it will cause us to be immediately noticed for good. The good of our testimony for Christ, but also for other goods too. You have somebody that comes along of whatever age they might be, they show up and it's like, I'm here to make life better for other people here, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do that, and that's the attitude that they bring in. That will be the last person who's laid off in an economic recession. That'll be the first person that gets uh, hired because that is still valued when push comes to shove. Within our culture, and people are always looking for that kind of uh, of an attitude. Whether uh, and and uh, and the powerful thing that it is not only in an employee, uh, but as a servant-heartedness uh, with on the part of children toward parents and the whole family uh, as a whole, or in a workplace or school or whatever uh, it might be. And the reason Paul lays out uh, all of this out in these verses is because the world was at that time, with Colossi, it was trying to redefine Christianity in Christian uh, service, and that is, and there is massive pressure being exerted today uh, to do the same thing with the church in the United States of America. And so we need a standard by which to uh, put our Christian lives in this important area up against to see how we're doing. Otherwise, the temptation will be that the changes that occur within the culture occur slowly enough even within the church that we don't recognize it. We become the proverbial frog uh, that boils in the hot water because the wa- temperature of the water was raised so slowly. And this whole selfism is one of those boiling pots that we can find ourselves in and uh, boil to death in, not recognizing the danger that it is and to jump out of, out of it. We'll look at uh, one more verse here and call it a morning here in verse 24 where Paul's Christian service, he uh, it declares to us that it involves suffering and far from complaining about that fact he rejoiced in it uh, he thanked God for the privilege uh, of it and so let's talk for a moment about Paul's statement there because it creates confusion for people where he said, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking uh, in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And so what Paul isn't saying here is not saying here. In this, he isn't saying that somehow Jesus' suffering upon the cross was insufficient for our salvation, and somehow we need to suffer to add to that suffering for it to be sufficient. We know that Jesus, in one of the final things that he said upon the cross, he declared, It is finished, speaking about salvation. And when something is finished, it is finished, nothing needs to be added to it. And we can't add anything to that salvation. In fact, when something is truly finished, if you try to add anything to it, all you will do is mar it. You will never improve it. And, uh, and, and that is certainly the truth concerning the salvation that Jesus has provided uh, uh, to us. And uh, that truth uh, fills the, the New Testament. What Paul is saying He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about service. And the afflictions of Christ speak of the afflictions that we incur uh, as he talks about that in the next verse because we live for him and we uh, serve him. It speaks of the fact that though Jesus is now uh, exalted into heaven, he continues to suffer in his members. And his members are the church. Us as Christians... Uh, through the world's treatment of of his people. And you remember that Jesus made this very clear to the Apostle Paul, uh, who was at that time Saul of Tarsus, making his way to the city of Damascus to further persecute uh, the church there, and he is meeting out terrible punishment upon Christians. And as he approaches the city of Damascus, he gets knocked off of his high uh, horse by the Lord. And the Lord, as he fell to the ground, as Saul did, uh, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And the persecution of the church is something that Jesus takes personally. It is an act against uh, uh, him. And that's how closely Jesus identifies with uh, us as Christians. But it's also important to remember that the world and the devil and uh, 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 all around us, uh, they uh, uh, closely associate us uh, as disciples of Jesus as well. And unlike Jesus, they don't identify us as Jesus' disciples for the sake of coming now uh, to our defense in any any way, but in order to specifically uh, select us for persecution. And in persecuting us, they're persecuting the Jesus that they see in us. And I always like to remind myself of something that I've said many times through the years, because I forget it. And that is that we must never expect the world to treat Jesus in us any differently than it treated Jesus 2,000 years ago in his incarnation. And because they cannot mete out physical punishment upon him now, Uh, they will attack us. And the more we identify uh, with the Lord and uh, and the more that we share the gospel, the more that we serve the Lord, uh, the more affliction that we can expect. Jesus spoke clearly on this famously in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, uh, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, If you were of the world, the world would hate its own, uh, would love its own. And yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do uh, to you for my name's sake because they do not know him, that is God the Father, who sent me. Now, you notice Paul here in, in, that, in that verse 24 that he speaks about, I now rejoice in my sufferings uh, for you. How did the Apostle Paul suffer for them? He'd never met them. Uh, he'd never uh, uh, come into their city at all. It's in the sense that the church in Colossae, and, and for us as well, that they were and we are the recipients of so many blessings because of Paul's faithfulness to what God had called him to. The letter to the church at Colossae is one of them. All of his epistles that are in the New Testament are others of, of these uh, uh, blessings, the, su- the suffering he was willing uh, to endure uh, in, in order uh, to provide these things to us and us uh, to be blessed as a result of them, in addition to his, the example that he is to us of of a godly minister. And so Paul let them know and he lets us know that Christian service involves uh, suffering. Including the fact uh, that he wrote this letter to them while he was imprisoned in Rome. Uh, and, and being imprisoned in Rome uh, w- was, in many ways, uh, not as bad as much of the affliction that we read about elsewhere in the New Testament uh, that, that he uh, that he went through. But he's imprisoned in Rome, and he writes this. And, uh, and he's imprisoned simply for being faithful to God's call upon his life. The, the Greek word that uh, Paul uses for suffering here, it carries the idea of suffering uh, to the point of pain. There's pain involved in, in this, this uh, suffering. He suffered pain in, in order to uh, be faithful to the Lord and his, his service. And it certainly teaches us that we can't stop and start our Christian lives or our Christian service every time uh, we suffer. Uh, that there will be pain. Otherwise, there never will be anything effective that is done uh, by us. We have to continue through seasons of of suffering. And a world of suffering uh, has been born by 2,000 years of Christians. So this little kid, uh, this youth named Damien Kyle in Napa, California, could one day hear the gospel in its purity and have the Holy Spirit bear witness to it and to be born again uh, by uh, the Holy Spirit. And what we owe today to thousands of years of Christian suffering, uh, we now owe the endurance of any suffering in our lives for Christ for the generations that will uh, also uh, follow uh, us. And you notice that he suffered while he was within the perfect will of God for his life. Somehow there's this idea that I'm a good poison and uh, I'm in the middle of his will and now something must be wrong with me because this suffering has been brought into my life. Obedience to God's calling in our life will, does not exempt us from, from suffering. And Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Ah, we know it well. And, uh, and it, we know it so well that it's like water off of a duck's back. But he meant it when he said it. And he declared in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you, speaking to us as his, his followers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And it was that eternal perspective related to suffering and as Jesus said, set your eyes on that, that was such an important part of Paul's uh, longevity when he wrote to the church at Rome and he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not, to be, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be uh, revealed. And so the importance of understanding, it has always meant suffering to be faithful in Christian service. And you watch the world that we're in the middle of right now. You watch the culture of the United States of America. You see how Christ is esteemed increasingly, how the Bible is disdained, what's going on. And apart from a revival, if these trends continue as they are, Christians are the next one on the menu And uh, and so the importance of recognizing that the portion of many Christians in other parts of the world for hundreds of years may very well become our portion in this culture within our lifetimes. I thought I'd be gone by now before I saw the things that are happening today. Maybe you felt the same way. Everything's happening so fast. Another thing that's protected uh, that protected Paul's attitude while suffering was the sense of privilege that he uh, felt at being able to be a part of God's work, to be a part of something meaningful, something substantive, something that was eternal. And all the way through Paul's letters, you see, all the way to the end. He never got fat and sassy spiritually. He just pinched himself. He couldn't believe that he got to do, for all of the suffering, he got to do uh, what God called him uh, to do, to be associated with God's kingdom, to be associated with with God's uh, work. And he counted it a privilege to carry that gospel all around the world. And uh, to uh, build up the body of Christ, where uh, whatever that suffering was, and the loss of the sense of privilege at being involved in God's work is a catastrophic loss for any servant of uh, the Lord. And again, that brings us to another thing that is prevalent within our culture and represents such a danger to our Christian lives and to our Christian service. And it is the sense of entitlement, the sense that I am too good, I am too important uh, to do this thing or that uh, kind of, of thing. And here the Apostle Paul, he couldn't believe that God called him to do anything. And he always maintained that sense of privilege and I don't think we'll ever have any longevity in Christian service if our soul focuses on the sacrifice that's involved as opposed to uh, possessing this sense of amazing privilege that God would use us in any way. And I wonder how many servants are driven out of the ministry um, uh, year in and year out. All around the world or we come to a place in our service where we will only offer uh, to God uh, a sacrifice that is less than the benefits that we incur in in the the service and so our service to the Lord over time it becomes like a profit loss uh, calculation, and if the loss or the sacrifice is greater than the profit, then then we uh, then we get out of it, or or we pull back on what we're doing, and then God lifts the fullness of His anointing on a person's life like that because it's eleven that that He's not interested in spreading in His church, and then ultimately the person drops out of the ministry. And I think how often it is that they, and we can never realize that it wasn't the fact that we were being overworked or that we had suffered too much, but because uh, we have lost our sense of privilege and we begin to look at things solely on the basis of the present tense of this life. We lose sight of eternity and we end up giving uh, our calling the bare minimum And then never realize that uh, what actually uh, drives such a person out of ministry is that they fell prey to the self-pity that's born out of a loss of a sense of privilege in the Christian life. And we also want to close by noticing Paul's use of that word rejoice in verse 24. Not merely rejoicing concerning service, But he rejoiced concerning the suffering. And joy is another very vital ingredient to longevity in our Christian service. And it's very easy to lose our joy along the way. I have many times. And it's good to be reminded that God wants us to enjoy our Christian service. God wants our Christian service to be a blessing uh, in, in our lives. And a sure way to lose our joy is if uh, we bring wrong expectations into our Christian service and, and we elevate those wrong expectations above what the Bible says Christian service is going to be uh, like. That our Christian service, the definitions today, it won't uh, require sacrifice. It won't require uh, pain. It won't require uh, suffering. And all of that is completely Uh, disconnected from the Word of God. And to to the degree in which my expectations concerning Christian service are disconnected from the Word of God is the degree to which I will lose my joy. And the importance of joy cannot be overstated. It is not a peripheral issue. It isn't like, okay, I'll take power windows uh, or whatever it might be. It's a necessity in the Christian life we're told of Jesus while he hung on the cross the ultimate act of suffering in human history as the writer of the hebrews said therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy, again joy presented in a context of suffering, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we close, and, but not by merely looking at Paul's ministry here in contrast to uh, the false teachers at Colossae, but to allow what Paul has spoken of here in these two verses to look at them and to see if there's any contrast between them and my own Christian life and my own Christian uh, service to test that as well. The passage teaches us to beware if we see ourselves as a big shot as opposed to a servant To beware if we're no longer willing to endure suffering. To beware if we've lost our sense of privilege in all of this. And to beware if we've lost our joy. And I think that uh, in this issue of servanthood and suffering and privilege and joy, those important subjects... If there's been something that the Lord might uh, speak to any of our hearts. Maybe an area that he just gave you a little flash uh, of of revelation. Or that's what I want to talk to you about. Or or that's that's shifted within your life. And I didn't ever develop it in that direction. But you sense the Lord has done that in your life. Then to take time today. And take a walk later on today. It's a beautiful day. Hot, but that's the Central Valley. And take a walk and say, Lord... I I don't want to live below what I see here. And I know that you have this for me. And then whatever needs to get worked out in terms of repentance and recommitment and all, for all of that to happen. Again, this world is so strong in how it is conforming us and the pressure that it's placing upon us. And to throw off all of that today, uh, even under the weight of just this verse and a half of what Paul has to say about Christian service. And then likewise, as we look at our lives in terms of servanthood and suffering and and privilege and, and joy, where we see those things have a healthy and a strong place within our lives, to thank God for that today that we haven't been conformed by the world and to recognize that we enjoy this quality of life because he has accomplished it within us. Let's stand together now. We'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the absolute broad diversity of the subjects that your word addresses and we thank you for the time that we've been able to sit and consider this area of Christian service and to look at it in the light of our age the culture that you call us to live for you in the midst of and to allow it to do its work of rebuke or its work of exhortation or its work of encouragement or whatever it's intended to do within our lives. And we pray that as is necessary, that your spirit in each of our lives, that this conversation would continue uh, that has begun here as we've met with you in your word so that we break off all of the great pressure to fashion us and mold us as Christians into something different than we see in your Bible, and Jesus, something different than what we see in you. And we pray for this wonderful work of your Spirit in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.